And um, I do want to bring love and greetings from your brothers and sisters in my own church, New Community Church, uh, at Central Hall and in other locations around the city. And uh, it's just great to, just to share in this time together and to be part of the kingdom of God trying to uh, reach people in this city. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's my very, very, very first time here with you, though, at Portswood Evangelical Church on a, on a Sunday morning. And um, it's always a bit daunting coming to somewhere for the first time, isn't it? Or it can be. Uh, it reminds me of the story I heard um, about a guest preacher at a church. And so he was there for the very first time, and he was invited to preach, you see. So he got up like this and uh, stood up and preached his heart out, he felt, for about 40, 45 minutes, and then went to sit down. And the, you know, the leader of the church came across to him, don't do this today, John, please, uh, came across to him and, and said, actually, um, brother, we would like you to come up and preach again, straight away. And he thought, I've just preached for 40 minutes, you want me to preach again? Well, if you say so, okay. So he got up again and just did his best to preach his heart out for another 40 minutes and, 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 and did it. So obviously after the end of the service, he, he, he was tired and, and, and so on, but he went across to the leader and said, look, I, I really don't mind preaching like that twice in, in one service, but I'm just a little bit curious. Why did you ask me to, to preach a second time? And, and the, uh, the, the minister said, well, in this church, we've learned to recognize when a preacher has the anointing of God upon him. And when he doesn't, we like to give him a second chance. <laughs> so, um, I don't want that invitation at the end, John. Excellent. It's lovely um, and a privilege to join uh, the series you're, uh, you're uh, going through on a Sunday morning here in 1 Corinthians. And so that's... Um, Where we've got to today is the passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 26. And so I'm going to read that passage from chapter 1, verse 26, through to chapter 2, verse 5. That's 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise... By human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power 
so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Amen. Praise God for his word. You know what the paper's like in in, uh, Bibles? I've got one of these ones that's ultra-thin paper. And when it gets wet, it's very crinkly. And my page here, with this passage, is, is very crinkly. Because the last time I read that passage in public was on the streets of New York, Lower East Side, church on the street, to a pavement full of several hundred homeless people. And I was speaking to them, shouting, <laughs> no, no microphones, no amplification, shouting to be heard. It was church on the street. They have it every Wednesday af- afternoon with a meal afterwards for them all. They don't have to come to the service to get the meal, in case you're wondering. They can come for the meal at the end, so there's no compulsion to be at the church bit. But I had the privilege of being there and speaking on that occasion and joining in with serving the meal at the end to this church on the street in New York. And I felt God say, read this passage. And you know what? Despite the traffic noise, despite the distractions, they were all ears. You see, they related to this. They related to this straight away. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were strong. Not many of you were rich. Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were influential. Yeah, no big mystery to those who are homeless, who live on the street. But God called them. This sense. It was really powerful on the street. This sense of the calling of God upon the misfits, the nobodies, the the despised, the rejected, the discarded. And then it started to rain while I read it, which is why my page is crinkly to this day. So every time I open my Bible here, I can feel it now, thinking of those hundreds of men and women. God called ordinary people. Ordinary people. Do you know what? That's exactly the same picture the world over today and in every generation. The people God calls. It's not that he excludes the rich, the influential, the noble. Notice, I love the phrase, not many of you, Paul said. Well, there might be some, but not many. Because God calls those who are poor in spirit, doesn't he? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not that he hates or doesn't want to call the, the wealthy, the people who have it all together... But there's something about the poverty of spirit that says, I know, God, that I have nothing to offer to you. I know I'm spiritually or even financially bankrupt. I have nothing to bring to you, to impress you. I need you in my life. And Jesus says, that's where it begins. To those people is the kingdom of God. But where we think we have something, even if we don't verbalize it, even if it's not conscious, a subconscious sort of, well, I can make this on my own, you know, I've got talents, I've got money in the bank, I've got this, that and the other. Well, hold on. Paul's message, the spirit of God's message through Paul to us is still the same today. Brothers think, brothers and sisters, think of this. Not many of us were wise and strong and influential. Of course, we're all rich in global terms, aren't we? 
If you ever want a salutary lesson, go into a, a website called globalrichlist.com. Anyone know that? Globalrichlist.com. And put in your income. It's a simple thing, just put in your income, and it will tell you where you stand in the world's rankings of how rich you are, and what percentage of the world's population you come into is in terms of our, our, our riches and, and wealth. It is horribly sobering. Because as, as, strug- as much of a struggle as we feel we might be in financially, the very fact that each of us here, I, I, I presume, though I don't know your circumstances obviously, because we have a generally a roof over our head, we have food in our stomach and change in our pocket, we're in something like the top 2 or 3% of the richest people in the world. Not many of us were noble, were rich, were strong. Actually, God calls, God calls the poor. I've come to that conclusion. There's a bias towards the poor. Bias towards the poor in spirit. Look at the, look at the global church today. Where is the kingdom of God flourishing most? Not in the rich, developed world, but in the developing world, in more poverty-stricken countries. Often where persecution is as well. And so God chose, and God still chooses, the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised, the things that are not. This is God's choice. If you and I belong to God, we put ourselves in that category. I am foolish, weak, lowly, despised, not clever and got it all together. It reminds me of that classic statement in Isaiah 55 where God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. They're higher, they're different. We wouldn't do stuff the way that God has chosen to do stuff if it was left to us. Would we? You know, we just wouldn't. I would never have worked it out this way. How, how can a holy, eternal God reach sinful men and women? I wouldn't have worked it out to send my only son to live that same sort of life and then be arrested and tortured and ultimately executed by the very people that you're sending him to rescue. It's not the way I would have done it. And God says, no, exactly. (laughs) My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And if we're not careful, we slip. And this this is Paul's challenge to them there in Corinth, to us now, that we slip into the standards and expectations of the world, of the culture, of the society we're in, which elevates certain certain qualities above others. It elevates and celebrates and promotes wealth, beauty, youth, success. Nothing wrong with any of those things, but if we think they're somehow better and the way that God wants to do it through those sort of people alone, we are missing the point completely. If we really, really want to see the kingdom of God flourish, we should be celebrating the poor, the elderly, the infirm, the disabled. Because God calls those people. He doesn't exclude the rest. 
But his standards are different. His ways are not our ways. Jesus shows us that. His very life, coming as that humble king, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, specifically to fulfill the uh, prophecy in Zechariah, and then entering Jerusalem, but breaking and shattering all the expectations of the Jews as to what the Messiah should be like and would be like. Not a military uh, um, victor, but a humble king. And so they, they're confused. But I, we thought you were our Messiah. And you're not doing it like we expected you to do it. No. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. <laughs> and we trip up again and again and again because we try and use the world's systems and the world's strategies to extend the kingdom of God if we're not careful. Rather than celebrating that we should be weak, lowly, and despised. It's tricky. It's tricky stuff. Do you know what? Just as an example of that, what I thought I would do, if you like, just for my own, uh, not amusement exactly, but for my own uh, thinking process, is, um, as I was thinking about these things, it was reminding me of not just Jesus himself and and the sort of... um, Contradiction, the paradox that he was, the expectation of the Jews about what the Messiah would be like and the actual way that Jesus came as Messiah, the way that God has, has uh, implemented our salvation, different to what, how we would have done it maybe. And then I thought about his statements in Matthew 5, the, the, what we call the Beatitudes. You know, blessed are they, I've mentioned one already, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I just thought, maybe you can do this yourself if you want to and you'll do a better job of it than me, but I thought I would do a world's version of the Beatitudes, our society's version. Alright? So, um, might go something like this. Blessed are the rich and powerful. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Next, blessed are those who never have tragic or challenging circumstances in life. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the selfish and pushy. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who yearn for the best house, the trendiest clothes, and the most exotic holidays. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are resentful and always want to get their own back. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are those who indulge every whim and sensual desire. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the troublemakers. And those who always insist on their own way. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called children of God. Blessed are those who avoid confrontation at all costs and only want a quiet life. Jesus said, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Can you see the contrast? (laughs) You may not agree with those particular ways I've put it, but I ask you to think. What are the qualities that Jesus said brings the blessing 
or exhibit the blessing of God in the lives of us as disciples. It's not the world's standards. It's not the way. It's not British church has talent, all right? Or church X factor or something like that. It's the opposite. It's the nobodies. The things that are not nullifying the things that are. Someone said, I'm really not quite sure where this quote comes from. Sorry, I can't give it a source. But I heard or read in the dim distant past this and it stuck with me. You cannot preach the kingdom of God from a position of power. You cannot preach the kingdom of God from a position of power. This is interesting. Because in this passage, and I haven't time to to, to go through it all, much as I'd love to, there's a paradox on the one hand, Paul is saying, look, there's no way that you, church in Corinth, church anywhere in the world, in any generation, are going to exhibit the kingdom of God if you just believe and hold to the world's standards of what's powerful and right. So there's that denial of power, in that sense. And yet, at the same time, <laughs> he then goes on to say, and when I came to you, you know, when I was actually there with you in Corinth, I was scared, fear and trembling. I didn't use persuasive words and eloquence and superior wisdom. Um, in fact, all I decided to do, I just resolved, I made a decision in my head, I'm only going to say two things. I'm going to preach a message that has two parts. I'm just going to preach Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. I'm going to speak about the name of Jesus and the nature of Jesus and the the pathway of salvation is through the crucifixion. I'm not going to go into anything else, despite your desire for wisdom and philosophy and arguments about X, Y, and Z. That's all I'm going to talk about. And then he says, I came to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Oh. <laughs> so actually, he's saying not that there's not, not such a thing at all as relevant, godly power. It's just not the world's definition of power. It's a demonstration. The word means a convincing proof of the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh. Right, so we're talking about power of a different dimension. You shall receive power, dynamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus promised it to his disciples, to us today. We should receive power. Not the world's definition of power, not to make a name for ourselves. It's power to be a servant, not power to be a master. If anyone wants to be great, Jesus said, let him be the servant of all. Oh, so he wasn't saying don't want to be great, he was just redefining greatness. So you want to be great, okay, let me tell you how to be great. Greatness is serving. And the way to become even greater is to serve even more. And not with a view to thinking, well, if I serve a little bit, someone will notice me, and then I'll get promoted, then I won't have to do that anymore, and I'll have a name for myself and tell other people what to do. That's how it can happen in church, not just in the world. And Jesus specifically told his disciples off about that. He said, not, this is how they lord it over one another in the world. Matthew 20, read it. And he says, not so with you. If you want to be the first, you be the slave of all. And whether anybody notices it or not, God, your Father, will notice it and will call you the greatest. The greatest is being the servant. Now we know these things in theory, but this calling that this passage refers to, this calling is what it's all about. Who does God use and love to use? It's those people, men and women, in whatever culture and whatever place, 
who know they've been called to belong in the first place, belong to God, and then who know that calling about how they're to serve. This is key. And this is where I would just throw out this invitation, slight challenge, but to myself as well as you. Do I know, do you know, the answer to the question, God, what is your calling upon my life? It's a very big pressure. I used to feel very pressurised as a, as a young Christian about that, when people would talk about how they felt God had called them to do this, this, that and the other, X, Y and Z. And I'm thinking, I haven't a clue. What has God called me to do? I don't know. I don't seem to hear from God like that. He doesn't seem to send me emails like he sends them emails. And so I changed the question. Not, what is my calling? Because that's too pressurised for me. I can't handle that. I changed the question to, what way does God want me to serve other people? Ah, right, I can do things there. And I can explore things. And I can see where God opens doors for me to serve other people. In the church, outside the church. I was a, I was a pastor of a church for 20 years. And then I took a sabbatical. Dangerous thing. Because God speaks to you when you stop doing things for him. <laughs> in a different way. And I felt God, God tell me, get involved with people outside the church more. All right. You know, how did I miss that along the way? Um, and, and that's what's led to me uh, ch- changing employment, for one thing. Because I now have a sense of calling now about working with young people with, for my, in my case, young people with learning disabilities, that, um, that is a development of, of what God had called me to do. It's kingdom of God without the Christian vocabulary attached in my daytime job. <laughs> And uh, I'll just throw that out. What is the calling? Don't think of calling in, in limited, narrow, what could you do here on a Sunday morning in the church, though it includes that, don't get me wrong. But what way does God want you, each one of us, want us to serve other people? Because that's the calling. That's where we'll know a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Paul was operating in his calling. He was called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So while he operated within that, the Spirit's power gave convincing proof, conviction. The message of Jesus, the name of Jesus, all of these are described as the power of God. And signs and miracles are also described as the power of God um, by the Holy Spirit in, 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 in the epistles. So we've got all of that. I was reading an article a while back now. In fact, the article was a couple of years ago. I I kept it. It was an article in the Times magazine on a Saturday. And um, so it's a little bit out of date. It wasn't written by a Christian at all. It was an article about the church in China. And um, so this um, secular journalist had been there, had had met some some Christians and and found out about the scene and wrote this uh, article uh, about it from her standpoint and she said conservatively who can who can number these things anyway but conservatively in China then 2009 there would be at least 100 million believers I don't know what the figures would be and whether that's accurate who knows but in other words a huge number of believers in China today and um, of course things vary from place to place in China you can't just talk about China as, as one picture, it, it can vary from area to area as to whether it's a persecuted church or, or allowed to prosper or, or, or underground or overground or whatever. But um, her point was this, the point in the article was this, that actually because the, these believers, the church now if you like, has been around long enough 
in China known to the authorities, who were of course very hostile towards it, and still can be. Nevertheless, with the passage of time, there's become a bit of a greater understanding of the authorities to the church, generalization. And she, she described three reasons for that, this journalist. I thought it was very interesting. She said this, first of all, the church, the Protestant believing church, are not seen generally now as a political threat. They are not a rival power base. They're not out to take over. Interesting, you see? Not many of you were called from a powerful position. Our goal is not to become powerful. The church gets it wrong. Nations get it wrong when Christians are in charge, it seems to me. That's the problem with a lot of America, or the way that the world views America. It's not the kingdom of God, but it's seen as a depiction of the kingdom of God. And Britain, for that matter. Not that it is. So they were not seen as a rival power base. Secondly, the authorities realised it's become counterproductive to close down house churches. They would, use, they would raid people's flats and houses where people would, Christians would meet in secret and lock them all up and break up that house church. And when they were released, those 15 people who'd been locked up didn't go back to meeting together. They started one of their own. So they had 15 house churches after that. So it was counterproductive. One house church multiplied into 15. So what's the point of doing that? Thirdly, though, most interesting of all, in, if that article was in 2009, the previous year, 2008, there was a huge, um, devastating earthquake in southwest China. And apparently, I didn't know this, many, many, many Christians from other areas of China specifically went, travelled to that area of the country and sacrificially served the community by helping the victims and helping with the aftermath of the earthquake. And that has created enormous respect. Not because of what they're saying, but because of what they're doing. How about that? They're called to serve. I believe that's a demonstration of the Spirit's power because they're operating within a calling. The church is operating within a calling that says, how are we going to serve this country we live in, this society? Where are the needs? How can we help without that strings-attached approach? You know, you've got to be one of us before we can help you. Think about these things. Maybe get some prayer. Pray about it yourself. Lord, you've called me to belong to you. I rejoice in that and you're calling to belong. But what's your calling to serve in my life? What is it now? It might change. You know, it might develop over the years. There are times and seasons. But there is a way that God wants each of us to explore and express that. I will finish not with an example from China, but with one on your doorstep. And he's not here today, so I can talk about him, and I know some of you will know him, but I always think, and, and, and I'm amazed by a friend of mine, who some of you will know, called Bob Light. Bob Light lives on the Flower Estate in Swathing. Do you know Bob Light, anyone? Anyone know Bob Light? A few of you do. For those of you who don't, he's just turned 60. He's just had his 60th birthday. <laughs> so he's, no, you know, he's not a young, young man. For over 25 years, he, he grew up on the Flower Estate and became a drug addict. He was a heroin addict for 25 years or so. God 
powerfully and dramatically broke into his life while he wasn't here in Southampton because he had to flee, you know, got into all sorts of trouble with police and other stuff like that, you know. So he was somewhere else in the country. God broke into his life, radically saved him, radically delivered him from addiction. And then, lo and behold, God said to him, after a while, go back. (laughs) I'm calling you to go back and live and serve me on the very estate where you, where you grew up, where you started. So, 12, 15 years ago, I forget when it was exactly, he returned to the flower estate, where he lives to this day, on the estate. And I'm not trying to paint Bob as a stained glass window saint or something, but just someone who has heard for himself, at great sacrificial cost and risk, a calling that says, this is how you will be fruitful. This is how you will discover who I created you to be. Go and do that. And I used to, when I, when I was working in the church, I used to go there every Thursday morning to his house just to try and encourage the guy and find out, you know, how he was doing and just be a bit sort of connected. And honestly, at that early hour of the morning, like I was there from like 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock or something, that we were, we were always interrupted. Knocks on the door, phone calls, needy people coming for this. Can you come with court to me tomorrow? Can you, can you see the police? All these situations just constantly bombarding him. You know, they, they, they thought for a while, should we move off the estate because our family life is so pressurized here. And he came back again and again to, no, God, you've called me. You've called me to be here. It's not the same to just parachute in every now and then to the area. You've called me to be there. That was his calling. I'm not putting this on everybody else. I'm, I'm saying, let's discover. What has God called you and me to do? Bob's found that out. It's not easy. He's persecuted at times, but he's seen great fruit in the lives of many, many people. Many people because of responding to the call of God. So God calls us to belong, and he calls us to serve. May we pray. We thank you, Jesus. You didn't come as one of noble birth, as it were, one who was obviously influential or wise or strong or rich. You came in humility and meekness to display what sort of kingdom yours is. So, Lord, we don't expect to be any different. We thank you you've called us, the sort of ordinary people that we are. Nobody's in, in, in our society's terms anyway. But we rejoice in that. Because you are using foolish people and things to shame the wise. Weak to shame the strong. So, Lord, use us foolish, weak, lowly, despised people to further your kingdom and to reach the lost for you. I thank you, Lord God, that whoever we are, if we belong to you, you've called us into your family, into your realm, into your kingdom. And because of that, it's not just a ticket to heaven one day, it's an opportunity and, and an invitation to explore how we can serve you by serving other people now in this life 
both in family terms, in employment terms, in retirement terms, at any and every stage of our life, even when we feel we're limited or, or trapped in a situation, Lord, it's your calling that uh, liberates us by the power of your Spirit, that our faith doesn't rest on our or someone else's wisdom, but our faith rests on God's power, your power, by your Spirit in our lives. And in Jesus' name, I pray that every person here will continue to explore and discover that calling upon their lives. For your glory, Lord. Amen.